the teams you care about. The Patriots are absolutely a contender. They're not just in the conversation. They're in the VIP section at the party right now. The stories that matter to you. Ryan Davis is the reigning conference player of the year. Ben Shungu is the most important player to the Catamounts, bar none. This is your home for New England sports. The rest of the American League, as I told you, is not messing around. The Red Sox need to be ready to make some big moves. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back in one more time. Brady Farkas Show on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes. We're going to check in with Buster Only of ESPN at 545. We're going to check in with Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated, who's a college hoops expert, talk about UVM and their 6-4 and four start to the season through 10 games. He'll be with us at about 6.30. So they'll take on Brown tomorrow night and old friend TJ Sorrentine. And I got a couple of text messages for uh, that I want to get to. A couple of people got in early today before the show even started, like my guy Harry in St. George and Dave in Montpelier. So I'm going to answer those questions at about 6.05. So you guys got to wait a little bit to get your text message questions answered. But you can always get in on the text line, the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802 585 3026, it's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. So I'll answer those questions at 6.05, but let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at Sticks and Stuff. Dot com. I think Mac Jones has done a great job this season on the field. I think that's pretty pretty easy to see. The team's won seven straight. They're nine and four. He's gonna win offense. He's gonna win rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year for sure. I mean, there's really no doubt in my mind about that at this point, unless his numbers just fall off an absolute cliff. He he has done a great job on the field. I think this week he and his team made a mistake. Mac Jones last week filed for a trademark for MJ10, right? He wants to hold football camps. He wants to have gear. He wants to sell things on a store, whatever. MJ10. And I said I didn't like that he did that during the season. I thought maybe that stuff takes away from football. We covered that last week. I still stand by that. Well, this week, Mac Jones put out for another trademark. His team put out for another trademark and they put out for Mac 10. Okay. Mac 10 makes sense, right? His name is Mac Jones. His number is 10 Mac 10. So they put out the trademark for Mac 10. I think Mac Jones's team made a mistake in doing this. A Mac 10 is a gun and it's a gun that is dangerous. It's actually a gun that was banned in the United States for 10 years from 1994 to 2004 so a mac-10 is a dangerous gun and now mac jones has filed for that trademark and he wants to probably put it on camp forms or clothing or something i think that was a poor business decision by mac jones given what this country is going through with gun violence and given what this country is going through in terms of the gun debate, it just doesn't seem smart, business-wise, 
to have a nickname or have a trademark that is based on a gun. Forget about whether or not I like or dislike the nickname. I'm not telling you my thoughts on gun rights. Forget about even your thought on gun rights in the car. Don't you think it's a bad business decision? Because at the very least, Mac Jones causes us to have this conversation and has the potential to have alienated some of his client base. That doesn't seem real smart business-wise to introduce an unnecessarily controversial conversation, and it doesn't seem real smart to potentially alienate some of the people that would buy your product in the future. You're going to want to market this stuff to kids, to fans of you. And don't you think some parents will think twice about buying their kids a shirt that says Mac 10 on it? I do. Again, look, I'm, I promise you, I am trying very hard to do this segment objectively. I am not trying to be a snowflake. And I am not trying to be a part of the, quote, woke mob or anything. But I think at this point, it is a mistake, given what this country is going through and has been going through. I think it's a mistake to build a brand or build a part of your brand that has that connotation and that imagery. There's just too much division around the issue of guns. There's too much negativity around guns. It's not worth it. Somewhere, someone is not going to be okay with this. And if it causes a distraction to Mac Jones, it's not worth it. If he loses potential business over this, it's not worth it. And it's just not what he wants or what he needs. Does anybody agree with me or am I making way too big a deal about this? Because that is possible. I will open up the text line, 802-585-3026. Is this a big deal, a little deal, or no deal at all? Again, it's not me sitting up here pontificating and telling you that, you know, hey, I'm not telling you I hate the nickname. I'm not telling you that the nickname bothers me. What I'm telling you is that the nickname somewhere bothers somebody. I'm positive of that. And it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. It is a, it is a poorly calculated business decision, if nothing else. Given where we are in this country, this does not seem like a smart business decision. Decision. It makes it could make him look bad to somebody. It could turn him off to somebody, and it could cause parents of kids to not buy whatever Mac Jones eventually wants to sell. The Mac 10, the Mac 10 was banned in this country for 10 years. I don't think it's smart business-wise to align yourself with that. I get one message that says, Brady, you're spot on. Okay, good. There's one. Does anybody else agree with me or do you think I'm crazy? Am I stupid for for bringing this up and even and leading the show with it? Because I saw this earlier this week and I purposefully didn't do the segment right away because I wanted to sit and I wanted to think about it. And I just kept coming back to, I see the name Mac 10 and I think to myself, is that really a good thing to have my starting quarterback aligned with? If I was a parent, would I really want to buy my kid a t-shirt where it says Mac 10? I just, I, I just thought to myself, somebody out there is having that conversation with themselves. 
And if one person is having that conversation, then it's not worth it. It's just a bad business decision from where I'm sitting. John in Richmond, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Brady, yes, you're being a snowflake. It's actually smart marketing on his part because we always say that quarterbacks have guns for arms, so it's actually good branding. First off, I I told you, I'm not trying to be a snowflake. But I am telling you, when I saw this, I furrowed my brow and said again, furrowed my brow rather and said again, someone is going to be upset at this and it's not worth it. But John, you do raise an interesting point. I will give you that. There is a lot of gun connotation in sports that we don't bat an eye at, right? We do say, he's right, quarterbacks have guns or that QB's got a rocket, or that outfielder has a cannon. We talk like this all the time. The quarterback plays from the shotgun. The basketball team that moves up and down the floor plays the run and gun. The guy on the outside of the punt formation is called a gunner who's going to make the tackle. The good hockey scorer is called a sniper. Heck, good basketball players are called shooters. So there is all kind of gun imagery in sports that we don't talk about that I don't talk about. You're right. But, and I don't have a good answer for it other than that stuff has been around forever. And that stuff has been generally accepted. And it's been generally accepted. Mac Jones, I feel like he and his team do not need to go out now and seek out something new. It's one thing when it's old and we've had it forever and we've been calling it the shotgun formation. That's one thing. But to go out and actively... Put yourself in that situation just doesn't seem worth it. That's the only that's the only answer I can give you there, John. You do bring up a good point. The only answer I can give you is that why now would you and your team rush out and actively seek out that name with that connotation and that imagery? It just doesn't seem like good business. Mary, who is in Randolph, says, uh, Let's see. She said, Brady, I agree with you. So, Mary, I appreciate you for that. Um, Yeah, appreciate you and uh, agree with you as well. Uh, Rick says, Brady, there's plenty of people in pop culture who have nicknames based on guns. Do they all need to change their names too? You're right about that also, Rick. Musicians, rappers, Machine Gun Kelly, Tech 9 popular musicians. They're all gun-related nicknames. We do see this. And once again, it just doesn't feel like a good thing or a smart thing for my franchise quarterback to go out and actively seek this out. The, 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 the musician or the entertainer, look, I, I think they live in a different world. The quarterback is supposed to be my CEO. My CEO is supposed to be buttoned up. My CEO is supposed to have a certain image. Look, you can deviate from that a bit, right? Like, you can be, you know, Cam Newton has a different image, and I'm fine with it. And Russell Wilson has one image, and I'm fine with it. And Aaron Rodgers has one image, and it's generally worked for him. He's made zillions of dollars off of it. So you you can get to the same spot in a slightly different path, but I don't know that it's smart for your team to be seeking out this path. You can have different personalities. You can come from different places. You can do different things. But at the end of the day... You're the CEO of my franchise. And I don't think, as the CEO, it's necessarily a good business decision. Does anybody remember 
Andre Kirilenko. Andre Kirilenko was a really good basketball player for the Utah Jazz about probably between a decade ago and 15 years ago. He was a great shooter. He was number 47. They called him AK-47. Andre Kirilenko, AK, number 47, AK-47, and he was a good shooter. So there was that gun imagery there. I, I get it, and it makes sense. But I don't think that would fly today. I don't think it would fly today if you came on the scene and just said, I'm going to start calling myself AK-47. I don't think that that would fly. Just like I don't think that it's smart for MAC-10 to fly. Mary says there's many other choices to be had. I am not creative enough to come up with what Mac Jones' nickname should be. I'm not. So somebody who's much smarter than me in PR can figure that out. But I'd rather call myself Mac Sauce than Mac 10. And again, I'm not giving you my opinion on guns, gun rights, or how I feel about it. I'm just telling you it's not smart. It's not good business. You, you, and you might be okay with it. Heck, me and the guy down the hall might be okay with it. Doesn't make it smart. If you turn off somebody and alienate your customer base, that is not good for your business. And evidently, by doing trademarks, Matt jo Mac Jones is looking for a business. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We're going to step out of that world, and we're going to go into the world of baseball where there's not a whole lot of baseball happening. ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney is going to join us next. The issues with the lockout. Isn't there a compromise to be had? I've got one idea. We'll see what Buster thinks about it. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Back in Brady Marcus Show right here on a Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Want to deviate from the Patriots conversation for a bit and go into baseball. And joining us as he does every Thursday is our guy Buster Olney of ESPN. Buster, how are you? I'm doing great, although I'm, I'm uh, you know, hit and miss on a daily basis to see who you get callbacks these days from people in baseball because everyone's. Uh, supposed to be on lockdown <laughs> yeah you know we are officially one week in change into the MLB lockout yesterday we had the minor league rule five draft what else can happen now until the lockout is over like was yesterday our last bit of baseball stuff until this thing is over I guess the hall of fame announcements will come out but like was the minor league rule five draft our last bit of baseball for a while no, I, I, I mean, look, at the team level, I'm actually working on a story on this for ESPN uh, today. Uh, you know, at the, at the team level, they're doing a lot of stuff in terms of staffing, in terms of filling out uh, front office, minor league staff, scouting staff. Uh, in fact, you know, I had one executive tell me that uh, it's more competitive than it's ever been because guess what? They have time. Hmm. You know, all these front hmm. offices typically are working on players. Um, can't do that. And so you have all these teams that are, you know, asking for permissions and making moves when it comes to, you know, field staff and front office. You know, the Mets are looking for a manager. Oakland is looking for a manager. Um, but, I mean, it's let's face it, uh, you know, in terms of major league stuff, there's just not that much happening. And the 
front offices are all being told you're not allowed to have anybody uh, speak on the record. Mm. And you'll see that in the, you know, in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead, that with the exception of, say, whenever the Mets name their manager, Oakland names their manager, these folks are not supposed to talk publicly. Wow. You know, I do a hockey podcast on the side, and my partners are a few former NHL guys, and they went through the lockout of 2012-13 that cost them about half their season. And they said it was hard to keep all the players on the same page because a lot of the guys who were on small contracts, they wanted to get back out and play so they could start getting paid. Would that kind of fracturing happen in baseball, or do these players seem pretty united? No, I don't think they're united. Uh, I think that they're not really engaged. I think at the top that there's, you know, agreement uh, at the very top in the leadership. Yes, this is how we want to progress. But I must say, as you know, someone who's been covering the sports since 1989, in terms of the understanding of what's going on, I feel like that the players, the rank and file, have less knowledge about uh, the details than they ever have, hmm. which is really unusual because when you think about it. Uh, you know, with social media, uh, with 24-hour news cycles, you actually have access to more information. But I just don't think the players are that engaged. And I do think as time goes on, you know, that's going to be the soft underbelly of the player's side. Will there be, uh, you know, players who come out on social media who don't make as much money as some of the stars and, and they start to complain? Or, you know, will, uh, you know, w- will they begin to, you know, have some rumblings there? Here's the other part, though. Because they're not engaged, I think there's less of a chance that you'd actually see that, you know, coalesce into something that's really going to fragment the union. If I'm making sense, yeah. You know, in the back in the day, in the mid '90s, um, you know, you heard about guys like Lenny Dykstra who weren't happy with what the union's doing because he was missing paychecks, and he was a he was a guy who could have been prominent and made a difference. I don't know if 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 someone. While they might gripe to their family, they might gripe to their neighbor, they might gripe to their agent, to you know, to other players. I don't know if you're going to necessarily see, um, you know, that that sort of griping lead to change on the union side. You know, the top guys, the guys who are leading this from the player side, they want players to get paid more, and they want guys to get paid earlier. As a fan, like I hate the idea of my small market team developing a player only to see him leave as he's on the cusp of stardom, like what happens in the NBA. So isn't the compromise right. a change in the arbitration system or in the league minimum salary where the team can remain control, like is good for them and good for the fans, but the money is greater leading up to free agency? Isn't there a compromise there? Well, I think there are a lot of ways to compromise. Um, you know, I personally, and I know a lot of agents believe that, you know, the, the idea of having minimum salaries, uh, floors for teams, is something where that would pour uh, tens of millions of dollars back into the free agent market and help out a lot of the middle-class guys who, who've gotten hammered. Um, but in, you're, you're right. I, I mean, you absolutely hit on the concerns among the small market teams. In fact, you know, some of the last meetings they had, I can't remember if it was the last meeting or next to last meeting, when the players came in and they, you know, they had outlined – uh, Andrew Miller and Bruce Meyer had come in, and they had outlined the idea of taking arbitration down to two years rather than two-plus years of getting players into free agency sooner. The, the, what was said back to them was, look, I don't have the votes for that. Like the, the feeling was the small market teams just wouldn't support that radical of a system because they want to retain uh, you know, players longer, uh, you know, guy, players that they draft and develop 
hold on to early in their careers, fans identify with them, they want the opportunity to keep those guys longer. Buster only ESPN MLB insider and Randolph Center Vermont native with us here every Thursday on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Buster, why is baseball being so petty? Did they really need to gray out the player pictures on MLB.com and things like that? Like, Did that need to happen? Now, as you know, when they did that, what I you know, got back and everybody else got back who, who inquired was uh, Major League Baseball did that uh, while talking to, uh, you know, national labor law expert, hmm. And that was the feedback that they got. Um, did they do? Do I believe that they absolutely had to do that? No, I don't. I, I think that what they were trying to do was shock the system uh, of the players and maybe in particular the rank and file that we just talked about. Look, if you do that, to, you know, if you take Max Scherzer's image off the New York Mets website, Max Scherzer's going to laugh because he's made tens of millions of dollars. But if you're a fringy type guy who is going to have a short career, it's going to be a little bit more unsettling. Uh, you know, we've talked about some of the, the challenges the players have, and, and I've wondered about because I've heard from, you know, players through the years that, you know, being an unsigned free agent through the holidays can be difficult because you got your Uncle Fred coming up to you at Christmas huh. dinner and somebody walking up, your, your Aunt Ellen coming up to you at uh, New Year's and asking you, hey, what's the deal? What's going on? What's the issue now? And how much is the average salary? Yeah. And, and those players, those fringy players, they feel that kind of pressure. Um, and, and maybe that's what this was designed to do. Personally, I think that there was some, such a, you know immediate negative reaction to it that it kind of backfired. It probably, in the end, it doesn't make any difference. They're not going to you know, all of that is not going to make any difference, uh, all of it, until the two sides actually sit down and get a deal done. You know, Buster, I don't know if this is a question. I don't even know if it's really an observation. I just find it ironic that, you know, we're led to believe that the players and owners have this terrible relationship. But literally one day before the, the lockout is imposed, there's Max Scherzer on a Zoom press conference talking about how great the Mets' ownership is and why he wanted to sign there. So the players will publicly praise the owners when we're led to believe that they hate them. Again, I don't know what I'm getting at here. I just find it ironic. I, I agree with you that the messaging is really difficult. Um, in fact, you know, I'll, I'll follow uh, the reaction on social media, uh, and I think, you know, it's across the board. You'll have some people who, who will... Uh, you know, support the players all the way across because let's face it, they have less money than the billionaire owners. But you are going to, ha- you will see reaction from fans who will go, wait a second, uh, look at all the money that was spent. Um, you know, leading up, <laughs> leading up to when baseball shut down. And what are you saying that there's not enough money to go around? And then they'll toss around that you know, like we talked about with the aunt and uncle at Christmas time, uh, the fact that the average salary in baseball is four million dollars. And it's hard for people to relate to that, which is why, you know, I, I personally think on the owner's side, boy, it's going to be really difficult to try to sell tickets <laughs> yeah. in this time. And, you're, you know, you're talking to people about buying season tickets. And on the other hand, I think if you're the players, I, I don't think it's going to be easy for them to get a lot of sympathy either because there's so much money at stake. And, and again, it's the sort of money that, uh, you know, casual the average person can't relate to in terms of what they're arguing over. 
You know, Buster, I'm curious about this too. So, like, for example, the Red Sox just signed James Paxton, a guy who's currently rehabbing from Tommy John. As a result of this lockout, is he not even allowed to talk with the Red Sox medical team to help in that rehab process or show up for for workouts at the facility? I would think rehabbing guys here are in a precarious spot. That's right. There, there can't be contact. Um, there, you know, there was in, in some cases that I know of specifically, there were conversations leading up to uh, the, the shutdown where they basically went over, okay, the, the shutdown's coming, and here's what your off-season program's going to be. Good luck to you. Hmm. And no, they can't go on site. They're not supposed to anyway. There's a suspicion among some teams that uh, some teams in particular will break the rules and skirt the rules and, and not uh, and not honor the lockout. But basically, there's not to be some contact. I mentioned, you know, in ter- terms of reaching out, there are people in the game that I've known in the sports for 30, 35 years. And I've, I've called them and left messages. And I get text messages that, look, they, they are monitoring phone numbers. They are really serious about this. Uh, I think that will loosen up over time. But as we start out, it is absolutely draconian in how uh, serious Major League Baseball is enforcing these rules. And I think in part because they understand that there might be some kind of lawsuits that come out of this. And so they want to try to button down absolutely everything, which is, you know, to hear a general manager the other day ask me the question, well, have you talked to other people? And I said, well, no one's talking on the record. He goes, well, until I see somebody else's conversations referenced, we better not talk. Hmm. And then, you know, say a pleasant goodbye. That's pretty unusual, but that's where we are right now. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. There are Red Sox fans that look quizzically at the moves that were made this offseason so far. How are Yankee fans feeling right now? Worse. Yeah. Uh, because uh, going into the offseason, you know, there was an expectation that the Yankees would be uh, right in the middle of that the bidding for the guys like Corey Seager and Carlos Correa, and instead they were kind of sitting it out. And I think part of the reason why is, you know, Hal Steinbrenner is one of the you know, folks on the ownership side negotiating committee, I think he, as well as I believe the Red Sox are doing this, I think the Dodgers are, they want to know the rules that are going to be in the next CBA before they commit money. You know, teams like the Mets have plowed ahead and say, rules be damned, we don't know what's going to be on the other side. Steve Cohen feels like he's got so much money that it doesn't matter. But I think Hal Steinbrenner decided, I need to know what the rules are before we start throwing money around. I would say... You know, the same thing holds true for the for the Yankee fans that, that we do for the Red Sox. When the gun goes off, whenever there's an agreement, if that's in February, you know, fingers crossed, or March, or April, uh, I expect those teams to be among the most aggressive, and they're going to do a lot of damage. And the comparison I've made is it's like being the shopper who holds on to your money until the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as satisfying as, it, <laughs> as if you're a, a Ranger fan or you're a Mets fan, you got signed Scherzer, but once baseball restarts, the teams that have available cash are going to make a killing because of how far much lower the prices are going to be. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider. Buster, appreciate the insight, and uh, we will. I don't know what we're going to talk about moving forward. Ne- next week, we might be ranking Christmas oh, cookies. Oh, we'll, we'll talk ahead of time. Okay, <laughs> we, we'll we'll definitely do. We'll have some fun with it. All right, perfect, Buster. We'll talk in seven days. Can't wait already. Thanks, Brady. Absolutely. Buster only love having him as a part 
of this show. He's with us every single Thursday. What we'll do is we'll step aside. We'll get a national news update. Then we will come back. We'll react to some of what Buster said. I'm going to answer those outstanding text messages that I have. And then Mac Jones could reportedly make $65 million a year in his next contract. I'll tell you why that worries me, but not for the we- for not for the reason that you think it would worry me. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and we are always streaming on the free WDEV radio app. Get it. It's free, everybody. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Want to remind you all, you can listen to our full show podcast available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also get all of our individual interviews there as well. We had one of our best weeks ever on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel last week as we pushed towards 400,000 total downloads of our show. You guys are awesome. We appreciate you. Our full interview with Buster Olney is up there already, so you can check that out. Great job by the staff getting that up quickly. Buster is so solid. I love having him on this show. A few things really did stick out to me. Those text messages from you guys, I still got them. I'm going to get to them in about two minutes. So, I would love to see a salary floor in baseball. It would force teams to spend money. Now, in the NFL, you don't have a salary floor, but you have it where you have to spend like 90% of your cap over a three-year period. So you can you can take a few years sitting out of the market, but then you've got to unload. So there's something in the NFL that forces you to spend. I would love to see that in baseball. It's probably not going to happen because whenever you have a salary floor, the owners want a salary cap, and the players will not go for that. It would be a salary floor would be great for the rank-and-file middle infielder who can get ten grand now instead of two, but it would not be great for Carlos Correa who wants three hundred and forty million. It just so it's never going to happen because the players want to be able to make as much as they can. I'd love for there to be a salary floor. It's not going to happen, but we've got to find out a way to get teams spending money consistently rather than half the league essentially sitting out. I did find it ironic that. Max Scherzer, who is one of the – he might might be the head of the players' union, but he's way up there in the players' union. He He's in charge, or he's at the helm here of trying to get the players in line. Well, Tony Clark is the head of the players' union. Max Scherzer is one of the highest-ranking players in the players' union. So he's in charge of trying to get the messaging out and trying to present the unified front against the owners. But the day before, he's talking about his owner. And how great Steve Cohen is and how much he can't wait to play for the Mets. So Buster's right. There is some mixed messaging there. And the rehab stuff is crazy. I mean, I get it, right? But James Paxton just signed with the Red Sox and can't talk to the medical team. Can't come up with a plan. Chris Sale can't come up with a throwing program, an offseason plan now, or stay in touch with the team about what he's doing in his effort to keep coming back from Tommy John. Rafael Devers can't talk to strength and conditioning coaches about his weight and ways to keep putting on good weight or healthy weight or strength or lose weight or whatever. There's going to be some some unintended consequences here. Guys that aren't allowed to talk to medical people or strength people 
whenever we get to spring training, there's going to be some people that are far behind because they didn't have the ability to do that. And they didn't have the ability to stay on track with the program. That That is going to be an unintended consequence. Okay, a couple of messages here that I want to get to. Dave in Montpelier, read. he listened to yesterday's show. He said, Brady, I had to weigh in on your Celtics-Lakers take. Remember I said Celtics-Lakers, not a rivalry to anyone under the age of 35. He says, I'm a lifelong Celtics fan, but I'm well over your 35 and under perspective. He says, I see your point. They don't meet up all that often, but in terms of when they have, even in the last 15 years, it's been important. Think of the finals from the late 2000s to the 2010. They met up twice in three years. And I think of how much Celtics fans really hate Lakers fans and vice versa. The same animosity that exists between Yankees and Red Sox fans. That I disagree with for anybody under the age of 35. Kids as little as 10 know to hate Yankee fans if they're Red Sox fans. Kids who are 10 do not hate Lakers fans. Nope. That is not. They might hate LeBron. Right? LeBron is polarizing. So you may hate LeBron. But the minute LeBron leaves the Lakers, that kid would go right back to not caring who the Lakers are. So people above the age of 35, they might hate Lakers fans. People below the age of 35, don't. I like the Celtics. I don't hate the Lakers. They play them twice a year. I'm not going to waste my time on hating the Lakers. Sure, you might not like Westbrook, or you might not like LeBron, or you might not have liked Dwight Howard. But all in all, I don't hate the Lakers. I hate the Sixers more than I hate the Lakers. I hate Miami more than I hate the Lakers. Teams that directly impact my team's ability to get to the finals. He also says, by the way, thank you for addressing a Celtics take. I wish you'd talk more Celtics and NBA, way less about Cam Newton. We haven't talked a lot about Cam. We talk about him a bit in the context of Mac, but we don't talk about Cam that much anymore. And you're going to get your wish there, uh, Dave. We are going to talk more NBA as we go here. There's going to be less baseball talk because there's going to be less going on. We'll talk to Buster, but Buster is going to be some of our only baseball talk that we do because there's just nothing happening. If if something happens or if we hear an interesting piece of audio, we'll react to it. Like, I got something I want to talk about tomorrow involving the Red Sox and High and Bloom that I heard. But, you know, less baseball. There will be more NBA. Probably get more into hockey as well. And the NFL, because the Patriots appear to be headed for the playoffs, we'll still have them to talk about, but it won't be all-encompassing once we hit February or so. Just trust me, the NBA talk is coming. Most fans don't even get into the NBA until Christmas, and we got 15 days until Christmas Eve as it is. So uh, we got plenty of time to get into the NBA. We will. Harry in St. George. Brady, I haven't listened in a while. I know this is old. Can you walk me through why Antonio Brown and Aaron Rodgers' punishments are different? Both lied. Well, it's pretty simple. Antonio Brown had a fake vaccination card. He lied to everybody. He lied to his team, and he lied to the league. Aaron Rodgers lied to the public. His teammates knew he wasn't vaccinated. His team knew he wasn't vaccinated. The league knew he wasn't vaccinated, and the team and the league and his teammates let him get away with appearing like he was. So he lied to us, but the league knew, his team knew. Antonio Brown lied to his team, and he lied to the league, and that is the difference. That is why there is a worse worse punishment 
for Antonio Brown than Aaron Rodgers. That's why he gets suspended for three games and Rodgers just got a fine. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Okay, Mac Jones is a rookie. I know we're four years away from him, you know, being in his second contract, but I was listening to Albert Breer, the Monday morning quarterback, yesterday on NBC Sports Boston. Listen to what he said. So, little context. Mac Jones, as a rookie, has five years of team control. Okay? Five years. Four years are really cheap. The fifth year is, you know, it's not Russell Wilson money, but it's not what he's making now. It's like somewhere in the middle. So, the four years, he's really cheap. The fifth year, he's still a good deal. You can extend your quarterback after three years if you want to. Okay? You cannot extend him before then. So you can't like get him after his second year and try to get him on the cheap. So you got to wait at least three years to extend him. Here, with knowing all that, here's what Breer says about Mac Jones' potential second contract. So here's the thing about that, right? You know what's gonna, you know where we're gonna be in 2024? Where are we gonna be? Maybe a 300 million dollar salary cap. Oh. <laughs> because think about it, the new television deals kick into the equation in 2023, and then there's the gambling money. At that point. The Jaguars are going to have to pay Trevor Lawrence. And so if the Jaguars turn around at that point, see a $300 million salary cap and pay Trevor Lawrence $65 million a year, you know who? You know what Mac Jones is going to be looking for? $65 million a year. Yeah. $65 million a year, potentially, for Mac Jones in a couple of years. The, the, that money is absurd. But I got to tell you, those numbers that Breer floats out being so high about Mac Jones, they don't really bother me. I don't worry about the overall money being made by a player. I worry only about the percentage of the salary cap that Mac Jones would take up. So that's what I'm nervous about. I'm nervous about paying him too high a percentage of the salary cap. I mean, like forty million dollars of two hundred million—that where we're like ish where we are now. That's that's very high. Sixty million of three hundred million—it's not quite as much. It's all about the percentage. The percentage is what I care about because look around the NFL. The top five teams in terms of percentage of the cap taken by the quarterback—they're not very good teams. Seattle under five hundred, four and eight. Minnesota, under 500, 5 and 7, I believe, with Kirk Cousins. San Francisco, 6 and 6, right at 500. Pittsburgh, 6 5 and 1, but we know they're not very good. Atlanta with Matt Ryan, under 500. So, three teams with losing records. One is 500 exactly, and Pittsburgh is barely, they tied the Lions. Okay? They're not a real contender. This is what worries me. I couldn't give a rip about total dollars. It's all about how much of the cap the team is allocating to one player. I have told you four months, and this will not go away. The Patriots need to win the Super Bowl while Mac Jones is on a rookie deal. They need to be able to take advantage of the time when Mac Jones isn't taking up a huge percentage of the cap. If you win when he is a rookie, if you win the Super Bowl when he's a rookie, You've justified the draft pick and all the other spending you did around him. And if you do pay him subsequently and you don't win for a bit, will you kind of figure out your new normal 
I at least give you a bit of a grace period. Maybe other Patriots fans won't, but if you win with Mac Jones in year one through four, one of those or two of those years are Super Bowl wins, and then it takes you three or four years while he's making $65 million a year to kind of get back to it, I can live with that. Maybe not all of you can, but I can. What you can't have is the Patriots don't win while Mac Jones is on a rookie contract, and then you pay him $65 million a year. That's what you can't have because when you do that, you create – and look, I think Mac Jones is very good. I do not think that he is special. I do not think he's Aaron Rodgers. I do not think he's Russell Wilson. I do not think that he is Drew Brees at the top of his game. I think he is very good. I do not think that he is special. When you have a good quarterback who is not special, make taking up a ton of your salary cap, you are screwed. Look around. It happens all the time. 49ers of Jimmy Garoppolo. Ton of money. Not a lot of depth. 6-6. Six and six. Screwed. That's why they got Trey Lance. They want the special young quarterback who is cheap. Rams with Jared Goff. Good quarterback. Took him to the Super Bowl. Didn't win. Paid him anyways. Couldn't wait to get rid of him. Could not wait to get rid of him. When you have the good but not special quarterback, that is what you become. In trouble. The Vikings with Kirk Cousins. Matthew Stafford when he was with the Lions. Good but not good enough. You cannot have that. I would worry about the Patriots falling into that category down the line with Mac Jones. So you have to win now. Because if you win now, then I will give you a significant grace period to try to get back. Take advantage of this now. If you don't, you're going to be sitting here having to wonder, is he really good enough to give 20% of my salary cap to? Is he really good enough to give 30% of my salary cap to? That's really hard to overcome because... Drew Brees got paid, never won a Super Bowl again. Russell Wilson got paid, has never won a Super Bowl again. Aaron Rodgers, to this point, has never won a Super Bowl again. Even the great quarterbacks, when they take up a huge percentage, they haven't won. I'd worry about that with Mac Jones. $65 million is a huge number, but what's it coming out of? That That's all that matters to me. Percentage of the salary caps. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do this. Speaking of quarterbacks, speaking of Russell Wilson, we do this every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at only $20 a month. For a free car wash, my listeners can just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. No commas. 30 400. Text the word Vermont. You get a free car wash from Vermont Laser Wash, which again, Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. 
NFL insider Jordan Schultz has been at the top of He's been kind of out front of multiple big NFL stories this season. He had this little nugget on Russell Wilson yesterday. There are three teams that I'm told he would strongly consider doing so. Those teams are the Denver Broncos, the New York Giants, and the New Orleans Saints. Now, could you imagine Russell Wilson with an offensive innovator like Sean Payton, maybe Michael Thomas and Kamara? Who that nation? You could be getting a gym. So Jordan Schultz says that Wilson would consider waiving his no-trade clause strongly for the Giants, the Saints, and the Denver Broncos. Now, to, to this, make it known, Russell Wilson refuted this. I saw Jake Heaps, his good friend from 710 ESPN Seattle, also say that this isn't true. So understand that we're in rumor season right now, and Russ says he's focused on what's happening with the Seahawks as they get ready to play the Texans. So be that as it may. Why these three teams? Why these three teams? I can I can figure out what is good in these situations. I can also figure out what is bad in these situations. So I'm curious why these three. The Saints, to Schultz's point, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, Sean Payton, they don't play in bad weather. They play indoors. They can play fast like Wilson likes. And right now, the Panthers and Falcons are in rebuild, so... Your only real competition in the division is the Bucs. That's the selling point for the Saints. The Broncos have a lot of good talent offensively, and they have good, dynamic wide receivers. I wouldn't want to go to Denver if I were Russell Wilson. Do you want to go and hit your wagon to playing against Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert for the next several years? I wouldn't. Not to mention that the Raiders are still pretty good. So that's a tough division. That's the division I wouldn't want to go to. I said the same thing about Tom Brady last year. There was all this talk about Tom Brady wanting to go to the Chargers. And I said, why would he want to go and battle against Mahomes twice a year and have to try to fight it out with him for the division? And now you throw in how good Herbert is and that the AFC West is not a place that I want to go if I can avoid it. And Russell Wilson will have enough options. He can avoid that. I don't get why he'd want to go to Denver. The Giants is good for his brand, being in New York City. It's good for his wife's brand, being a musician. Um, they have some good pass catchers, so I can make the case for them. But just like Denver, I'd be really concerned about the Giants, too, if I were Russell Wilson. So out of those three, I would choose the Saints in a landslide. I, If I were Russell Wilson, I'd want to go to the Saints. I would want no part of being in Denver going up against Herbert and, and Mahomes. And as for the Giants, I want I just don't think that that's real smart on his part. The offensive line is the problem for Wilson in Seattle, right? Pete Carroll wants to run it too much. That's one problem. The second problem is the line. He's tired of getting hit. He said as much last year. Well, hasn't the offensive line been the problem for the Giants for the last several years? They haven't figured it out. It wasn't Eric Flowers in the draft. It wasn't Nate Solder in free agency. There were questions about Andrew Thomas who they took in the draft last year. So the line hasn't gotten figured out in New York. That would be a major concern for me if I'm Russell Wilson. He's got dynamic playmakers in Seattle. I imagine he'd like to still have those wherever he goes next if he gets dealt somewhere. Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley are coming up near the end of their deals. We have no idea what they'll be. 
and or if you what you'll have to replace them. So there's questions about the weaponry in New York as well. And three, part of the reason Russell Wilson is unhappy in Seattle, allegedly, is that he doesn't get enough say. Pete Carroll has too much power. Joe Judge, do you remember where he comes from? He comes from New England, where it's all about the team. It's not about one person. Tom Brady couldn't get a say after 20 years in New England. Is Joe Judge going to give Russell Wilson the, the say that he covets? I doubt it. So I can find selling points for all three of those teams. That's true. But I, if I were Russell Wilson, I'd have huge counterpoints to, to Denver. And I'd have huge counterpoints to the Giants also. So out of those three, I'd want to go to the Saints and that's it. The problem is, is that if Seattle's going to trade Russell Wilson, they're going to want a fortune for him. And the Giants have two first-round picks this year. Giants have two first-round picks this year. Remember, they traded back last year with Chicago so Chicago could get up and take Justin Fields. So Seattle's going to want a fortune. That fortune involves multiple first-round picks probably this year. Remember, Seattle doesn't have a first-round pick this year. So they need a pick and they need plus in the first round. And they're going to need picks to go and try to um, find the next Russell Wilson if they trade him. I, if I were Seattle, out of those three, I'd want to send him to the Giants so I can get the picks. But if I'm Russ, I wouldn't want to go there. So, I don't know. There's going to be this cat-mouse thing here. The Giants, weaponry, unstable at general manager. We don't know what's going to happen with Dave Gettleman. We also don't know what's going to happen with Joe Judge. If they bring in a new general manager, is Joe Judge going to be gone? The Giants are a mess. I wouldn't want to go. I see why Seattle would want to send him there because of the picks. If I'm Russ, I'd be I'd look long and hard about uh, waving my no-trade clause for the New York Giants. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Show today brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training online at ProDriverCDL.com. They are Vermont's premier truck driver training school locations in Enosburg and in Milton. You can... Find them, by the way, by going to ProDriverCDL.com. Also calling them at 893-4955. That's 893-4955. They prepare you for success by getting a Class A or a Class B CDL. They offer passengers and advanced skills trainings. Also, you can go online and look at the courses that they offer, like Class A CDL. It's a minimum, 148 hours of training, classroom as well as independent study, lab training, like pre-trip inspections, identifying hazards, maintenance and securing cargo, and you'll get one-on-one behind-the-wheel training on the range and on the road. That's just a small example of what they can do for you at Pro Driver Training. All right, when we come back, UVM men's basketball, 6-4. and four. They're over 500. That's great. They are 300th in the nation in scoring. That's not so great. Is it ever going to get better? Kevin Sweeney, Sports Illustrated College Basketball Insider. He's going to join us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I want to continue the conversation on UVM men's basketball. Catamount 6-4 and four on the year, coming off a 10-point loss against Providence. They're back in action tomorrow night when they take on Brown in the second game 
of their Rhode Island swing. So joining us now is college basketball expert and insider from Sports Illustrated, Kevin Sweeney. Kevin, what's up, man? How are you? Good, man. Appreciate you having me on. Well, I appreciate you being with me. UVM 6-4. and four. Um, we got a lot to talk about with the Catamounts, but I'll just kind of start with an open-ended question. What do you think of this team right now? I think they remind me of a lot of uh, of John Becker teams. I, I think this is probably one of the least talented UVM teams that they've had in the last several years. But you know, they have an elite big. They're extremely disciplined and you know well coached. They defend, and they're going to be a tough out come uh, come March. I think that's kind of what you expect with a John Becker team. And I think we haven't we haven't seen too much to indicate anything else so far. You know, they have a team with two first-team all-conference players and Ryan Davis and Ben Shungu. And when you have that at the low major level, I expect you to dominate. And this team is not dominating. And I, I understand they're not expected to beat Providence and they're not expected to beat Maryland. But even their wins are tough to get. Are my expectations too high? I'm a little disappointed right now. I, I think... Yeah, I think there's a reason why your expectations are where they are. I also think it's not. I, I, I also think it's a little unrealistic. I, I think Shungu's a great player. He's an outstanding defender. You know, he's grown up in this program and gotten so much better over the years. But I don't think he's like a truly elite level guard at the mid major level. I think he's good, but I think when you're when you're attempting to build a team that's going to go, you know, twenty five and eight and win an NCAA tournament game, right? That's the, that's that's probably the ceiling at UVM. The realistic ceiling is win an NCAA tournament game. I think you need that truly elite guard to go with that top big in Davis. And I think Shungu's really good. I just think if he's your best guard, the, the ceiling's a little bit lower. So, yeah, I think I think they've been about what I've expected them to be. I think you probably want one of the Oakland and UNCG games back. You probably want one of those too. But when you play close games, it's just kind of kind of the inevitability. And I think the schedule has been tougher than I think a lot of people realize. Oakland is playing really good basketball. They look like a top two to three team in the Horizon League. Uh, Appalachian State's a really solid team. They went to the NCAA tournament. They're going to be back in the mix. And the Sun Belt, a really good league. You know, Greensboro's well coached with Mike Jones in, and, and they'll be in the mix in the SOCON. Yale, obviously. So you kind of go through the schedule. You know, pretty much every team that they've played uh, from the mid-major world is a conference com- conference contender in their respective league. And I think, you know, realistically, that's pretty good t- good preparation for the American East. UVM is three hundredth exactly in scoring per game right now out of 350 teams they are 300th in scoring is it possible for them to take a drastic jump as they move towards conference play or is this just kind of what they are a defensive first team that's going to struggle offensively most nights well i think they're going to shoot it a little better than they have right like i think they're shooting yeah they're shooting 27 percent from three this season i don't think that's going to stick i think you'll probably wind up in the low 30s but you know, I think it kind of goes back to what I said with, with, with Shungu and, and, and the talent as a whole. There isn't a lot of kind of elite scoring on this group, and there's not a ton of great shooting, right? I don't look at this team and say, oh, wow, look at all the weapons they have. I say, wow, these, these guys are experienced. They're tough. You know, they're, they're good on the glass. They don't beat themselves. And they've got a guy that they can play through in the post in Davis. So I think, yeah, they're going to have to win games with their defense. It's not the most explosive team in the world, but – I think the offense will improve because they're not going to shoot it at 27% all year long. They're not a bottom 20 team in the country in shooting. That's just not what this team looks like on paper. You know, I was talking to somebody and he said to me, look, when they get towards conference play and everything becomes more normal, they're going to be better offensively. How much stock do you put in 
kind of, hey, they got to travel a bunch. They got to play a lot of games that aren't at home. They're playing in early season tournaments. They're playing around the holidays. They're doing a lot of things that aren't normal. As you get towards conference play and things become more standardized, do you think that they'll shoot better and be better offensively? Is that a, is that a justifiable excuse for their struggles early on? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the travel is is taxing without a doubt. You also have, you know, three games in three days early in the season when they were in the tournament. You know, that's that's challenging. That's not something that's, you know, replicated even in the conference tournament in the America East because they play the, the, the home courts and, and travel in between. So I think that's certainly fair. I also think, look, there's they've played some defenses that would be better than the majority of America East defenses. Mm-hmm. And I think America, you know, against America East competition, they'll be able to put the ball in the basket a little, a little bit easier. Kevin Sweeney, college basketball insider from Sports Illustrated with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. How's the rest of the America East look right now? Kind of give us the uh, kind of give us a 3,000-foot view as we move towards conference play. I know that, was it uh, UMass Lowell beat Georgetown or somebody? There, there are some good wins for conference teams here. I might have that one wrong, but there are some good wins from conference teams here. Yeah, U- UMBC uh, just lost to Georgetown, but uh... – you know, UMass Lowell beat Dayton. That was a heck of a win. Yeah, that's it. Um, UMBC beat Pittsburgh. That was an impressive win. Pittsburgh's really, really down. But, you know, that's still a nice win to have in in, in your belt. You know, whenever you beat a team that's paying you $80,000 to hmm. come play, I think you'd consider that a success. So, look, I think, you know, the disappointing team so far are probably Hartford and Stony Brook. I think Stony Brook has started to get it going lately. They blew out Hofstra on Wednesday. That's an impressive victory. You know, Hofstra's a talented team with great guards, and they beat Yale earlier this week. So maybe some early signs of Stony Brook starting to figure it out. They have, I think, the most talent in the league. You're talking about, you know, if you're looking for that guard that I mentioned, that elite-level guard that can can go get you a game, that's Jaleel Jenkins, the transfer uh, from Fairleigh Dickinson, who's, who's in a Stony Brook. I think Stony Brook will get better as the season goes on, but Hartford's been a little bit disappointing. I think Vermont's kind of clearly the best team, but you've got this kind of dense middle of the pack with, you know, Stony Brook and – UMBC can really score, but has struggled on the defensive end with New Hampshire, which is experienced and tough. NGIT has been a little better than expected. I think that, that, that team probably belongs to that middle tier and then UMass Lowell as well. So yeah, I think, I think Vermont has kind of established itself as, as the favorite. I picked Stony Brook in the preseason. I think I regret that, but still, still think that uh, the Seawolves will be pretty dangerous as, as they get going and, you know, start to play together. You know, this is a group that has a lot of new guys. UVM takes on Brown tomorrow out of the Ivy League. What do we know about Brown? Tremendous positional size. I mean, this is a group that, you know, they're really unique. They play kind of through a, a point forward in uh, Tamanang Cho, uh, who came back for a fifth year. He's tough and physical. And because of that, they start everybody 6'4", 6'5", and up. Uh, you know, Cho, Cho 6'5", 210. Uh, they start, you know, a two, a kind of a too big look. The kid they brought in from Loyola Chicago, Paxson Wojcik, has been a nice, nice difference maker for them as a shooter. He's six foot five. He has good size, so you know they they bring really good size and, and a, a good big man, Jalen Ganey, who plays around the rim and you know, brings tremendous energy. They block shots and you know, rebounds. This, this is a solid group. You know, I think they're going to be a factor in the Ivy League. I think they've they've been right on the cusp several years in a row, uh, running into the uh, pandemic year last year of making it to the Ivy League tournament, being a top four team. I think this year they have you know, the makings to, to do that. Uh, so it'll be a competitive game, tough to tough to go on the road. I think Vermont probably a slight edge, but you know, really where, where Brown makes its money is its size. They're, they're physical and, and, and big, and they can switch too. You know, they've got guys who can guard multiple positions. 
in addition to just being a UVM game we're naturally excited about, we're excited because Brown on the bench there has a catamount tie in TJ Sorrentini. He's the associate head coach at Brown, and obviously we love TJ up here in Vermont. We know he interviewed for the Central Connecticut State job this past offseason. Have you heard anything about kind of how he's regarded uh, in the coaching landscape? Because it seems like he wants this next step to be a head coach and, and maybe he might be on the cusp of it. Yeah, I think yeah, I reported that he was in the mix, and a couple other people he was in the top five. That that job was always a, that was a weird search, and uh, you know, really came down to Steve Curran from St. Bonaventure and Pat Sellers. But uh, yeah, he he he's a riser. He's a guy that you know he's stuck at Brown. I think longer than some people would have expected. You'd kind of expect the jump to a high major, but he'll he'll be in the mix. And I think the question when you're in a spot like like TJ's been in for for a cer- for a certain length of time is what is the next step is it it's going to be hard to get a, a mid-major coaching job right central county state is about as low as you can go he couldn't get that job you know he keep trying and he'll have an opportunity to get into those mix but if you look at a division two head coaching job we've seen some guys jump from there and have success into division one or do you try to move up and, and get onto a bigger bench an a10 bench a, a high major bench and be an assistant there you know i think he's a guy that has the opportunity to, to rise in the profession without a doubt um but yeah, I haven't heard anything kind of in particular about about where he's looking next or you know, what the next move is. I think he's you know pretty well guarded in, in the Ivy League, though, as an assistant, without a doubt. Kevin Sweeney, college basketball insider over at Sports Illustrated. Kevin, man, we appreciate the time. Continued success to you, and we will talk to you again uh, down the road, I'm sure. Thanks, Brady. Absolutely. There goes Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated. That, he is a crazy story, Kevin Sweeney. I mean, seriously. Th- he is about 23 years old, okay? Kevin Sweeney is about 23 years old. And I may not have every fact here right, but he started a website called College Basketball Central where basically what he did was really just talk about mid-majors, low-majors that started out because he actually grew up in Albany, so in America East Country, so he's been following Vermont for a long time. And then he went to college at Northwestern, did journalism, obviously, and grew his site while he was there and then immediately now has a job at Sports Illustrated. Like he's twenty three years old. He is as dialed in as anybody. We could have had Andy Katz on. We could have had Jay Billis on. And I don't think either one of them would be able to give us what Kevin Sweeney just gave us on UVM or on low and mid majors. He really is awesome. You should follow him on social media at C B B Central. And he's right, an interesting kind of uh situation for TJ Sorrentine. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Kind of like, what would you do if you were TJ Sorrentine? You didn't get the Central Connecticut State job. What would be your next move? Would you want to um, be the guy and maybe be at a D2 program? Or would you want to be a assistant and kind of work your way up the ranks? It, it is, it's a tough decision career-wise. We're going to, we're going to focus on that tomorrow but good stuff with kevin sweeney the full interview available on the brady farkas show podcast channel after the show all right let's get this one is a dandy this one is a dandy let's get to crazy twitter takes people the internet it's a really weird place where'd you hear that the internet and you believed it yeah they can't put anything on the internet that isn't true where'd you hear that the The internet. internet it's time for crazy twitter takes on the brady farkas show right here on wdev am fm and wdev radio.com This crazy Twitter take came from Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner. 
Kurt Warner was talking with Pardon My Take, the podcast, popular podcast on uh, Barstool Sports. He said he thinks that football should be played in nothing but domes. No weather. He doesn't like what happened in Buffalo on Monday night. We saw the big wind game, the snow, the bad weather. He doesn't like that. Now, remember, he played most of his career in domes or good weather places. Arizona, the Rams, played with the Giants for a bit, obviously, remember. That's bad weather. But most of his career was spent in very, very nice, comfy conditions. Here's what Warner says about why football should be played in domes. Why I would want to get rid of it is because when I have the Patriots against the Bills, and this is for number one in the division, this is for seeding in the playoffs, I want to see the best version of the Bills against the best version of the Patriots, and I want the best team to win, not the best team in those conditions. Yes, that is a crazy Twitter take. That is a crazy Twitter take. I get his point. You do want the best team to win, but you know what? Sometimes the best version of each team is based on the conditions that you're playing in. The greatest show on turf was great on turf. But the 2004 Green Bay Packers might have been better in Lambeau Field when it was 18 degrees. The best version of your team does change based on the conditions. If every team played in the Dome, then it would be the Arena League. That's what it would be. But now teams build their team to help, or they at least they should be building their team based on the conditions that they play in and based on the city that they play in and the climate that they have. The Arizona Cardinals, they can build a team full of track stars. The Atlanta Falcons, the same thing. The New Orleans Saints, the same thing. Play to your stadium. And if you want that advantage, if you want your team to be the best version of itself, then get home field. That's what it's there for. Get home field advantage. If you are not built to play in Green Bay, then so be it. The best version of yourself is to play on turf. Then get as many games on turf as you can. If the Green Bay Packers, the best version of themselves, just might be 24 degrees and wind. The Patriots this year, it is that. The Bills, it should be that, but it's not. Build your team according to what will yield you the best version. Your conditions, your situation dictate part of that. So, yeah, the best version of the Bills with how they play, that probably is indoors. The best version of the Patriots is closer to what we saw on Monday. Deal with it. If you don't like it, build your team differently or get home field advantage in your place, in your climate-controlled building. That is absolutely... A crazy Twitter take. Okay? The best version of teams can thrive in different ways. The best version of the Denver Broncos was great defense and good running game. They won the Super Bowl doing that. When they were throwing it all over the yard, they didn't they, they didn't win the Super Bowl. The Los Angeles Chargers, the Rams, they can throw it all over the yard. But understand that when you go to Green Bay, you're going to get beat. When you go to Seattle and Seattle's good, you're going to get beat playing that way. When you go to Chicago and Chicago's good, you're going to get beat there. No, I I am for weather and conditions 
playing, you know, or, or the elements playing a role. I understand that it would be watered down if, if, if you know, or you're losing something by seeing a game like Monday night. But the conditions matter where you play matters. You see baseball teams, there's a reason why every stadium isn't the same size. Hey, we got a short porch in right field. Okay, we're getting a bunch of power hitting lefties in today. Okay. Hey, we got a uh, we got a short porch in left. We're gonna get a bunch of power hitting righties that pull the ball this year. Okay. You play to what you have. Kurt Warner, that is a crazy Twitter take. I have heard him say that before. I had forgotten that take by him. That is a crazy Twitter take. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I started off the show talking about a decision that Mac Jones' team made this week. The Patriots also made a mistake this week in how they handled Mac Jones, and it has nothing to do with the game plan. I'll tell you what that is next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Bob in Moncton says, love football in the snow, doesn't agree with Kurt Warner. I don't agree with Kurt Warner either. Yes, you do lose something when the game is played in, in the elements. I understand that. You won't see necessarily the best game you could possibly see, but if you have built your team well for the condition that you play in, you should be able to overcome some things. And there's a reason why it's called home field advantage. If the Cardinals are not built to go to Chicago, then get home field. That's all I can tell you. All right, the Patriots made a mistake with Mac Jones this week, and it has nothing to do with the game plan or on-field stuff. Did you hear this note that the Manning cast on ESPN2 during Monday Night Football, they wanted to speak with Mac Jones, and the Patriots denied it? That was the wrong decision by New England. I understand they play things close to the vest, and I understand that they protect their rookies and that they protect Mac. None of that matters to me. Let the kid speak to the Mannings. The NFL, the teams rather, are contractually obligated to make their starting quarterback available to their media partners the week of games. Mac Jones speaks to CBS. We had Andrew Catalan and Ian Eagle on, two different CBS broadcasters this year. Mac Jones sat down and spoke to them before games. He had to. He sat down and spoke to Joe Buck before Thursday Night Football. So he talks to the media partners. He has to. I'm sure he spoke to ESPN before Monday Night Football, the Steve Levy, Lewis Riddick, Brian Greasy crew, but the Patriots would not let him speak to the Mannings. That was the wrong decision. The reason why the quarterbacks are available to media partners is, one, part of the massive TV deal, Two, for the access and the ability to grow the game. The Mannings are the hottest thing on TV right now in football. You talk about growing the game, there's a ton of people watching the Manning cast, and Mac Jones was not available for them. That is not part of the growing the game initiative. Wrong decision by the Pats. Also, the media partners pay a lot of money for the ability to have games on. With that comes those interviews. I know that you're going to tell me, that they already spoke to the to the other ESPN crew. Well, the Mannings are now the like the most valuable part of your media partners package now. So let him speak to him. I'm not telling him telling you he's got to come on with me 
and talk to everybody in the country. But 10 minutes with Peyton and Eli Manning is good for football, and it's good for your media partner. Wrong decision by the Patriots. Max said, you know, he said the right thing. He's like, hey, they just want me to focus on football. Well, are you focusing on football when you're filing for your trademarks? Not necessarily. I think that the 10 minutes you sit down with Peyton Manning over Zoom is fine. That's not going to impact your ability to be an NFL quarterback. So, uh, Patriots made the wrong choice. That's going to do it for us here on the Brady Farkas Show on this Thursday. So, uh, full show podcast, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, please give us a follow. If you are not subscribed yet and following us, go ahead and do that. We welcome you on the uh, on the subscription train. It is free. You get our show and all of our content sent right to you every day when you open up the app. It's right there. It's easy to use. It's easy to find. So we appreciate all of you that follow us, those of you that listen live, those of you that listen on demand. All of our full shows, all of our interviews, all of our exclusives, some things that we don't ever put on the show, they are all there. So we are pumped to uh, to grow that podcast channel and grow our live show here as well. On the show tomorrow, we'll do our six-pack of NFL questions. There's no Patriots game to talk about, so a nice relaxing weekend for us football-wise. We'll talk with Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston. We'll get ready for the Pats when they're in action next against the Indianapolis Colts. Dinner Jazz is next on DEV. Thank you.